Uh, it's been quite a week, and uh, we're glad you're gathering with us here in worship. I'll say more about our Youth Sunday in just a moment, but uh, we really are glad you're here. And uh, on a, to kind of change moods quite a bit, uh, I was very cognizant this morning as I got up and was praying and was just thinking about the past week and thought, wow, was it only a week ago that I saw the parade and it rained and then saw the football game on Wednesday. And then, of course, tragically, at the end of the week, uh, the, we received the news about the miner's death. And I was thinking, wow, what would it be like to be at the uh, Sega Baptist Church in West Virginia this morning? where it would be a very difficult day. And so I want to begin our service just by lifting them up and being reminded uh, that there's a lot of suffering around our world mixed with the, the joy that we experience as well. So would you just pray with me? I'm going to give you a moment of quietness and silence just to center yourself on Christ and why you're here, because God's going to speak to us today, and it's going to be a great day of encouragement and faith and drawing close to God. Shall we pray? Lord God, we do bow before you to recognize that you are God, you are Creator, you are Lord. You made all that is, and you've made us. And you've created us in your image. You've created us in love. And Lord, you've sent the Lord Jesus into the world to help us understand your love fully. And we come together today in the name of Jesus. We pray to you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we pray on behalf of the suffering of our world. And we think particularly of those who are grieving in West Virginia today and ask that you might be very near to them. Be with those who lead in worship, those who bring your word we pray that you might encourage them in their faith and that they would do what you've called us to do, that they would stand one with another to be encouragers and comforters at this time. We think of the many places that are broken around our world and lift them up to you today. We think of the broken places in our own lives and in the lives of those we love. And we pray for your encouragement and faith, for your renewal. This is the day that you've made, Lord, and you've called us to rejoice and to be glad in it, and we are. Thank you for these young people before us, those who have the courage to name the name of Jesus in the high schools and colleges where they attend. And we pray for them today that this might be a wonderful time as they serve us. And we pray for your strength to be given to them, not just today, but throughout this week and throughout this coming year as they seek to live lives that honor you in the places where you've placed them. So again, we, we come to you to say thank you, and in, we say it in Jesus' name. Amen. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes the little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today under this roof as a church to worship you. We should take the time now to be thankful for all that you have provided us and forgive us of our wrongdoings. When our sight is clouded by hate, we ask that you clear our vision and show us the right way in life. We want you to show us how to treat others with respect and not judge them based upon their color, religion, and even who they love, because we know that in your eyes we are all your children. Bless us throughout the day and all days after this, and bless all those who suffer around this world. We ask all this in your name. Amen. 
We sing in jubilation, adoration to a joyful King. You are spinning, you are singing, zealous over all your children. We sing in jubilation, adoration to a joyful King. You are spinning, you are singing. Zealous love over all your children. Joyful, joyful. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of life. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. All thy works with joy surround thee, earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars and angels sing around thee, center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, flowery meadow, flashing seas. Chanting bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in thee. To a joyful king, yeah. Mortals join the mighty chorus, which the morning stars begin. Father's love is reigning o'er us. Brother's love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward. Victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music lifts us onward in the triumph of the life. Joyful King. We sing in jubilation, adoration to a joyful King. You are spinning, you are singing, zealous love over all your children. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much for letting us come and worship you today, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to take time to praise you for the glory that you have and the thankfulness that we have, Lord, for all that you give us, all the good gifts that you give us throughout our week, Lord. Lord, even in times of of sorrow and sadness that we experience throughout our week. Help us remember you. Help us know that you are there beside us always. All we need to do is reach out to you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you use my words. Use me as your voice, Lord. Help me be your humble servant. These things we pray in your name.
Amen. I was looking back through uh, one of my old family albums the other day, and I couldn't help but notice how much I'd changed. Not not so much physically, but even personality-wise. My character had changed. I I just wanted to show you kind of who I was and who I am now. Let's see the first picture. (laughs) (laughs) I was two years old there. And um, as you can see, I was cute as button right there. Uh, and uh, what I, uh, who I am is uh, more than that. My parents used to say that I was afraid of talk. Not I wasn't afraid of talking to anyone. I would go up to people in restaurants. I would talk to them all the time. My parents said I would put on little performances for people. I could count. And when I was two years old, I could count in Spanish all the way to ten. And I didn't mind showing this to anyone. So uh, my parents always kidded around. They said all we had to do was sing you around with a little hat, and you could have made quite a bit of money there. So uh, I don't remember much of that, but uh, that's who I was when I was two. I want to show you the next one here. Uh, that's me and my sister. I was about 11 years old at that time. Uh, I, I kind of turned into a nerd, uh, as, or a dork, however you want to put that, uh, at that time. Uh, I was in junior high at that time, and, and junior high was hard for me. It was probably hard for a lot of you. Um, and, you know, trying to find my way in the world, trying to find out who I was. Who I was at that time was I was so awkward and so uncomfortable. I, I hated wearing glasses. And, you know, I, I hated being called four eyes or, or whatever else. And what's worse was, you know, I didn't really dress that cool. I don't know if you guys remember the, the jams in the 80s. They're loud neon shorts that go down to your knee. And who knows why I wore those, but uh, that was popular at that time. So I was trying to find my way in the world at that time. I was trying to get some confidence. And uh, so that's who I was at that age. I want to show you the next slide. <laughs> These aren't the most flattering pictures. Uh, this was me when I was about 17 years old. I had longer hair then, as you can see. And uh, uh, we lived in the Middle East at that time. And uh, that's where that picture is taken. Who I was at that time was, was someone who is, was still evolving, still changing. I felt like I had more confidence uh, later in life. I got passed through my middle school phase and I was able to, to go on, gain more confidence. Uh, I was able to uh, make friends pretty easily with, with most people in my school and I, I just felt better as a person uh, when I got into high school. Here I am today. I'm 28 now, if you want to know. And uh, The person I am now is greatly different from that 2-year-old, from that 11-year-old, from that 17-year-old. I'm still evolving, still changing. I I tell you, I've kind of settled down a little bit as I've gotten older. I don't know if you want to call it maturity or or what, but I've I've calmed down, I've settled down, I've I've gotten a little more quieter uh, than than I used to be when uh, I was that 2-year-old who would talk to anyone. Uh, I've gotten uh, even more confident than that junior higher uh, at 11 years old. But I've calmed down even more than that high schooler at 17. I, um, I'm still trying to find my way in the world. I'm still trying to find who the person 
I am. And I tell you, I'm constantly changing. I'm constantly going through changes in my life, even now, even at 28. And um, But it's amazing. The, the older I get, it seems like the less change that happens in my life. I don't know if you feel that way, but the older we get, it seems like the more settled we are in our ways. And I want us to talk a little bit about today what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Uh, Brian read the scripture for us. I want to read it one more time for you. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever become, whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. I want to talk a little bit to, today about not only who I am, but I want to talk a little bit about who we are, but more specifically, who youth are today in our world. I want us to try to learn a little bit about youth and see what we can learn from them. And if you'll excuse me, I know in the story here it talks more about children and this child, but I'm going to use the word youth kind of interchangeably with child uh, as we go through this here. I want us to look at the characters first of all. I want us to talk a little bit about the first characters in this story. I want us to talk about the disciples here. Now, something that Matthew leaves out, but Mark and Luke are quick to point out is, you notice the questions that the disciples ask. They ask Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, Mark and Luke have a different version of that story. They go up to Jesus and they say, which one of us is the greatest? They're not talking in general terms like Matthew states. They're saying, Jesus, out of the twelve of us, who's your favorite? Which one of us is the greatest? And uh, now they didn't approach Jesus directly. They were talking amongst themselves. Judas was saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm really good. And uh, you got John and James over here saying, no, I'm the greatest. And they're arguing amongst themselves. And Jesus comes up on them and, he, and they're, they get quiet all of a sudden. They're like, oh, okay, Jesus is here. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, and that's when he goes into this story of humble yourselves like this little child. These, this is who the disciples were. Now, I, I don't know about you guys, but the disciples, I, I don't want to paint them in a bad light, but you know they're, they're not the greatest disciples in the world. I mean, if I was Jesus, I would have picked someone a lot better than these disciples here. It seems like they made tons of mistakes. They don't get it a lot of times. And if you want to get an example here, later on, after this story, after Jesus says, humble yourselves like children, the first shall be last. James and John, the brothers Zebedee, come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, choose one of us to be on your right and one on your left whenever you enter the kingdom of heaven. I can just see Jesus going, oh, okay, 
Let me explain this to you guys. It, it's not about that. It's the last shall be first, the first shall be last. Don't look for places of honor seated next to me on the right and left in the kingdom of heaven. Humble yourselves. Ask to be the last person. And then you will be the first person. And so it's, you know, the disciples don't quite get it. And uh, a little bit later on even, uh Children come up to Jesus and they're, they're wanting to talk to Jesus. They're wanting Jesus to lay hands on them. And what do the disciples do? Push him away. Like, you're kids. Get out of here. And Jesus, he's doing it again. He's like, <sighs> he's saying, don't you guys remember this story? I said, welcome the children and you will be welcome into my kingdom. And so that's what we have from the disciples. And, uh, Again, I, I wish that Jesus picked better ones, but I think Jesus had a point in mind. Jesus picked regular people like you and I. I'm sure you and I would say, if I was a disciple, I'd get it. I'd be like, yeah, I got you, Jesus, no problem. But I think that you know, if we were truly honest with ourselves, even we would have problems with some of the thoughts and ideas that Jesus had. We have to realize that these were revolutionary ideas. The first shall be last. That's, that's the strangest thing anyone had ever heard. And so, I don't want to give the disciples too much of the bad rap when we're talking about them there. The next character in the, in the story here is uh, the child. Jesus welcomes a child and has the child come up. Jesus uses this child, not like a prop, but almost like a parable. Jesus is telling a parable with this child, if you really think about it. Much like uh, when Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, like a little bitty mustard seed. And when you plant it in the ground, it grows into this big tree. And Jesus is using that mustard seed to represent something. The same thing with this. Jesus is using this child to represent something here. And so Jesus is pointing out, it could be just any average child, you know, maybe this child is six years old or something, comes up. And says, you know what? You need to be like this child, six-year-old child. Be humble like this child here. And so as we go in the story, uh, we see that the disciples and the, the children, they act as foils of each other. And I don't know if you guys know uh, your literary terms, but foils are, are something that kind of acts opposite of each other. They counter each other. They play off each other. So on one side, you have the children. On the other side, you have the disciples. And I want us to talk a little bit about this because Jesus, in these six simple verses here, he's making four major points. And he's using, again, the children and the disciples as foils. He's saying, the children are this, you disciples are this. And I want us to talk a little bit about that. The first point Jesus makes, he says, humble yourselves. The American Heritage Dictionary defines humble as meek or modest or low in rank or station. One of the lowliest stations at that time and even still today are children or youth. Uh, you know, the old saying, children are to be seen, not heard. We don't want to admit that. Uh, it was uh, it's something that's you know, we believe. We, we don't allow children to sit in uh, and be senators or anything like that. You know, I mean, their opinion really doesn't matter that much. And so uh, they are low in station. 
there's some ones that not are so much outcasts, but as far as the order of things, they're not very high up on the list. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying we should be like these people, like these children, like these youth, low in station. But more than that, the, the other definition here, we should be meek and modest. And that's hard to do. As a child, I, I guess it's pretty easy to do. When we think about children being humble, and what Jesus is trying to say here is, Jesus is saying that we should be humble and like children. Because how are children humble? They obey their parents. Good children obey their parents. Uh, we'll talk about bad children in a minute. Uh, good children obey their parents. They are humbled by their parents. They understand that relationship. The parent tells the child what to do. The child should do it. Um, and so that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus, the, the best analogy that, that Jesus can give, and it's perfect, is if you want to be in the kingdom of heaven and you want to be the greatest, humble yourself like this child. Obey your heavenly parents. Humble yourselves. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell us and tell the disciples. He's saying, I know you guys are arguing about who's the greatest, but the problem is it's not about that. You need to be low in station. You need to not worry about who's the greatest. I want to see a disciple raise his hand and say, I want to be the last. Pick me last, Jesus. That's what Jesus is trying to say here. But more than that, Jesus is saying, obey your heavenly parents. Humble yourselves. And the foil to that, the opposite side of that, the point that Jesus is making is, even though the child is humble, the disciples are the opposite of humble, which is prideful. Disciples are prideful here. And here we have an example of their arguments themselves. Who's the greatest? Am I the greatest? Are you the greatest? And their pride gets a hold of them. And that's real easy to do. I'm sure you guys face it every day. I'm the best worker in my office. I'm the best basketball player in my pickup group. Whatever it might be. I mean, it's, it's easy to do that. In our minds, we do that very easily, very quickly. And we uh, try to distinguish what is better about ourselves than other people. The dictionary also defines pride as arrogance or conceit. Uh, and the disciples here were being very prideful. Pride can mean another thing, though. There's another way that Jesus was using pride. Jesus was saying, you're prideful because you want to do your own thing. Pride can mean that we ourselves want to do whatever we want. You guys have heard the expression, pride goeth before the fall. That expression makes a lot of sense. And I don't know if you guys quite understand that, but what that means is if you're going to sin, if you're going to commit adultery, if you're going to go rob a bank or whatever you're going to do, you're first going to tell yourself, no one can tell me what to do. That's pride right there. No one can tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want. And that is pride. And that's something that we need to be warned against because, again, two, two issues here. First issue is the disciples are playing the game that we often play ourselves. Who's the best Christian? Maybe you guys are looking around the room and you're saying, well, I plan on giving a lot more offering today than that person right over there. 
Uh, and so we, we play that game. Who's the best Christian? And that's what the disciples were doing. But more than that, again, when pride becomes an issue, we are saying, I can do whatever I want, and I don't need to change, which is the next thing that we're talking about here. Change. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus doesn't say, unless you're already humble, you know, if you're already humble, don't worry about it. Jesus says, unless you change. What Jesus is emphasizing is that we all need a little more humility. We all need to change. I tell you, it's, it's amazing. As, as I went through the pictures here, I could see how much I changed. And the same thing goes for these youth. I've been the youth minister here for about two and a half years. I've seen how much these children can change. Jesus is using this as an example. He's saying these children, they're able to change. They're able to turn around their personality if they see something's wrong. And again, as I said before, the older I get, the harder I find it is for me to change. I get so set my ways, I start getting pride more and more. I start saying, I'm fine in this area. I'm great. I don't need to change. What's the point? I'm good enough. We all need to change. We all need to change. And that's what Jesus is saying. These children, they can change. You need to change and be like them. The last point Jesus is saying is, don't be a stumbling block. The disciples were being a stumbling block. Jesus uses some pretty harsh words here, right? Jesus says, If anyone causes these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. Whoa. Jesus? Okay. Um, these are harsh words. But harsh words are necessary. And since Jesus is using harsh words, I don't mind giving a harsh example of how we can be stumbling blocks. You know that children and youth are more likely to abuse their own children if they themselves are abused. It's a fact. If you or if children were abused, you're more likely to do the same to your own children. We ourselves can be stumbling blocks. Whether you realize it or not, adults, each of you are role models to the youth and to the children in this church. They look to you for examples of how to live your life, how to act, how to do things properly. Can you imagine if children came to this church and later when they grow up, they decide to argue about the color of the carpet because that's what their church did back home. It's, it's sad, but we ourselves can be stumble, stumbling blocks in so many ways. So many ways, and we don't even realize it. We need to be cautious not to be stumbling blocks. We need to realize that the youth, they look to us, each and every one of us, for examples of how to live our lives. Sometimes, I feel trapped between these two worlds, and I'm sure you do as well, and I'll I'll be honest with you, I feel each of these almost on a daily basis. I'm continually humbled by the fact that I was called to the ministry, that God called me to be a minister. I, I am truly humbled. I 
come to church almost every Sunday and say, I don't know what I'm doing here, God. Why did you even call me? I'm continually humbled by that. I experience pride as well. I, I tell you, I typically don't like to sing solos in this church because I'm pretty prideful about my voice. I'll be honest with you. I feel change every now and then. I'm still working on trying to be more of an optimist in life. That's something that I struggle with. And again, if I watch the news or read the newspaper, it's hard for me to change. But that's something that I'm struggling with and working on. I sometimes can be a stumbling block myself. The movies I watch, the music I listen to, am I being a stumbling block for the youth in this church? That's something that I, I struggle with daily. What I want us to learn from these youth is the same thing Jesus wanted the disciples to learn. He wants to learn humility. Be humble. You're not the greatest. And if you're good at something, it's probably because God blessed you. We need to change. It's so easy for these youth to change. And I've seen it. We ourselves need to change. Don't be prideful. Don't be prideful about your abilities. Don't be stumbling blocks. Watch your actions. Because these youth are definitely watching those actions. I tell you, I'm constantly amazed by these youth that are in the church. Their servant spirits humbles me. The fact that they can go collecting canned goods for the needies, or they can serve meals for the poor, it's, it's truly amazing to me when I see them. I'm also amazed, as I said before, by their willingness to adapt and change. It does a youth minister good to see that whenever... I teach a lesson that these youth actually apply it to their lives. It's amazing to me. And I am continually humbled by that. The last verse that I want us to look at is Timothy 4.12. And Brian read it. Read it one more time. Don't let anyone look down on you, youth, because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. It's a two-way street, youth. These, these adults look at you as well. You might be watching their actions, but they're looking at you. Set an example. Help them be humbled by the fact that people so young can be such a great example to this church. I challenge you, will you join me in leaving behind our pride and our stumbling blocks? Will you become a child of God, will you humble yourselves in that way? I pray that you will. I pray that you will do what Jesus asked, but more than that, I pray that you will be that good example to the youth and children in this church. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank You so much for letting us come together, Lord. Lord, help us understand this message as You've laid out. Help us understand that we ourselves need to be so humble. We need to let go of our pride. We need to stop being stumbling blocks. Help us change, O oh Lord. Help us change. Lord, I just pray that each and every one of us has the courage to change. I know, even as I grow older, Lord, that it's, it gets harder and harder. 
Help us be that good example. Help us change our ways. Help us change our wrongdoings, Lord. These things we pray in your name. Amen.